Hello and welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed therapist. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Dr. Jennifer Sampson. She's going to talk about her specialty, which is hoarding disorder. Tell us, or introduce yourself, please, first. Yeah, hi, I'm Jennifer Sampson. Um, I'm core faculty with you at Antioch uh, University, and I'm also the executive director of the Hoarding Project. So tell us about Hoarding Disorder and the Hoarding Project and everything you know about it. (laughs) All right. Uh, So Hoarding Disorder is a brand new mental health diagnosis. So two years ago, uh, in 2013, the latest version of our diagnostic manual came out. Um, and in it, hoarding disorder showed up for the first time. So prior to this, it was like non-existent in mental health like conversation. Um, but uh, a task force basically was put together to research this behavior that was really kind of surfacing and coming coming to public attention, um, like via reality television, for instance, um, in a way that these different types of behaviors sort of hung together in in a diagnostic kind of way. So hoarding disorder, we define as uh, having four main parts to it. First, that there's an excessive acquisition of stuff. Um, So people are bringing in more things than they have space for, need for, or resources for. Um, Not everybody who hoards excessively acquires, but most people do. Um, Like 70% of people who would meet clinical criteria for hoarding would excessively acquire. How do you define excessive? Um, Above their needs, space, or um, above their need space or resources for stuff above their need space. So they have too much stuff given the amount of space they have. Yeah. Yeah. And so like people, and and they also don't need all that stuff. They don't need it all. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, we all have stuff we don't need, right? Like that's fine. Um, but hoarding really kind of boils down to like functionality of space in a lot of ways, meaning that they, can no longer the space no longer functions as it was intended to yeah do. yeah another piece of the diagnosis is that uh, there's the space can no longer be used for its intended purposes because there's so much stuff i see like the bathroom has too many boxes in it and you, so can't, you can't bathe in it you can't yeah. sleep in your bedroom cook in your kitchen that kind of stuff okay um, another piece of the diagnosis is that people have a difficulty discarding possessions. Uh, so they have um, like an emotional reason for wanting to hang on to stuff. Um, and these reasons can be varied, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, I need this later. Or I'm going to give it to somebody. It's too beautiful for me to part with, whatever it might be. Um, but there's a perceived need to want to save the item. And because of that, uh, there's a difficulty discarding it, some emotionally distressing reason for discarding the item. Yeah. So all of those behaviors put together, and we've got some significant impairment in functioning that's a result, and that's kind of what hoarding disorder is. So for many people out there, and I kind of for me included, as I hear you describe it, I I think it's something that a clinician gets a sense for that threshold because there are, or maybe you consider it a spectrum or something. Yeah. Because I can see how some people could have things that are cluttering Mm -hmm. and they are things that they're emotionally attached to. And other people would say, why are you holding on to that? Like I could see someone having all the... Uh, they have a subscription to National Geographic 
and they have you know tons of these issues, like hundreds or thousands of issues of National Geographic in their garage, for mm-hmm. instance. And they can no longer park their car in there. They're never going to read these things. No one knows why they have them. And but that's that's it. The rest of their house, everything's yeah. functioning well, and it's not totally ruining their life. And so it. it in some ways, if you made an argument, you could say that they're meeting the criteria criteria for hoarding disorder, but most clinicians wouldn't necessarily call that hoarding disorder. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think that it really, again, it boils down to really getting clear about the like impairment and functioning, uh, right? So like on any given level for any person, like we all, like behaviors that we engage in can look a little like problematic, right? Yeah. Whether it's... Parting with items or, you know, how much time we spend like in bed or whatever it might be. Um, Unless it's like impairing functioning in some way, it's probably not like a pathological type of behavior. Right. So the kinds of things we see clinically with hoarding disorder is no joke. It's not like, oh, I can't park my car in the garage. It's I can't get to a certain section of the room. I can't I can't find the telephone to call anyone. People can't even get in the front door because things are piled up. Uh, what else do you see? In yeah, I would, and I would say that, like, like you said, it is more like a spectrum of behavior. Okay. So probably it becomes problematic when people are recognizing that they have, or like loved ones are recognizing that someone has a really emotionally difficult thing or time getting rid of stuff or acquiring stuff. And it's starting to pile up and get in the way of functioning. Yeah. Um, so part of what we need to be, and it doesn't, so it doesn't necessarily need to be like level fives if there's five levels um, and five being like the stuff that we see on television. Um, so it doesn't need to be that bad in order for it to be hoarding. Um, right. Probably most of the hoarding that I see is not that. It's probably like around a level three. We can get around the house, but there's stuff that's accumulated on most li- like surfaces it's more difficult and challenging to get around the house. What do people typically hoard, or is it uh, across the board? It's across the board, but like research will tell us the most commonly hoarded things are like paper, clothes, craft supplies, photographs, books, DVDs. Craft supplies? Oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. And again, and I, this is my curiosity, and I hope the listeners are curious too. What are the, what's the sort of impairment... Uh, issues that people run into regarding functioning because I'm trying to imagine in my head what I mean I have severe examples sort of in my mind but Mm -hmm. what what sort of impaired functioning do you actually see for some of these people well day-to-day functioning so again like not being able to use like the kitchen for cooking or the bathroom for bathing so Uh, they literally can't even go in the bathroom it could get to that point because too much stuff is in too much in the shower even yeah for example okay um, oftentimes people who hoard and it get, when it gets pretty severe, um, might not be sleeping in their beds at home because they have too much stuff stacked on their bed. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's like that level, uh, when things get that bad and difficult to move around, like basic housekeeping becomes problematic. You know, it's tough to vacuum when you, there's just little pathways you might not even not, may not even be able to see the floor. Okay. 
Some um, mold could be building up. Yeah, rodents are more likely, that uh, kind of stuff. Okay. Rotting food, like in the more severe cases. Okay. In the less severe cases, um, we may very well present with like couples conflict around just differences in housekeeping. Right. Um, so those are some of the things that we want to listen for um, in like in our clinical sessions. Um you know, we're good at listening for cues about like substance abuse or like domestic violence or things like that. But we need to start paying attention more for like comments that people make about, you know, I'm having a really hard time keeping up with housekeeping or I just can't seem to let things go or I really like to shop a lot. How do you gauge that? Because in most of the couples that I treat, one of them will complain about the other Mm -hmm. that the other person is too cluttery or too messy or something. So what, what kind of question, or if there is a question that one could ask to get a sense of whether or not it's excessive hoarding or just preferences on clutter? Yeah, I, so I ask more questions about it. So okay. I tell, like, if one partner is complaining about the other, I say, so what exactly do you mean? Like, paint me a picture of what this looks like. Are you talking about, like, this person leaves clothes around the house and it's annoying? Or are you not able to get through, like, a particular room or use a closet or something because there's so much stuff like really paint me a picture for what you're talking about i see Mm -hmm. so what are the causes um it's 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 pretty complex so it's sort of like a perfect storm of biological psychological social factors that come together it's genetic it runs in families um so like like with all mental health stuff right depression runs in families but particularly hoarding because i would imagine ocd would another compulsive issues would run in families Mm -hmm. as they do, but particularly hoarding runs in families. Hoarding runs in families. It's a learned behavior and it's also at the genetic level. It runs in families. Interesting. So as you're a child and you have a hoarding parent, Mm -hmm. you learn certain things that Mm -hmm. contribute to you developing it as an adult. Yeah. I'm guessing things like you've got to hold on to something because what if you need it one day? Yeah, in our homes, we all learn things about hanging on to stuff, shopping, discarding items, saving items. And so that we, you know, internalize those processes and we show up as adults with them. Right. We also know there's cognitive pieces that go on, cognitive differences in the brains of people who hoard. This is super important. Yeah, like what? Executive functioning looks different. Um, Processing of reward value, impulse control. Those parts of the brain run differently in the brains of people who hoard. Meaning that I'm guessing that their executive functioning has deficits. Yeah. So decision-making, organization, task prioritizing, all those things we need to keep a house in order yeah. don't run as well. Is IQ associated? Uh, no, I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So there's cognitive differences and then there's genetic uh, factors. What else? It's a co-occurring diagnosis. Okay. Uh, up to 92% of the time, there's another mental health issue alongside of it. Like depression. depression, anxiety are the major ones. PTSD. Um, the research that I did around my dissertation found a link between unresolved trauma and loss and hoarding. Right. So having lived through a traumatic or stressful life event um, was predictive of higher severity and hoarding disorder um, in the participants in my study. This is important because we know trauma affects the brain in a lot of the ways that I just finished talking about. Yeah. Um, we know that um, there's cognitive... Uh, like distortions that happen. So it's not just like, I'm going to keep this, you know, water bottle for instance. And, um, because you know, it reminds me of someone it's, it's beliefs, 
for example, like um, if I get rid of this water bottle, I'll lose memories of my mother right. who gave it to me. So it's like distorted ways of thinking right. um, that get, you know, kind of all encompassing, generalized, right. and, and get again, in the way of people throwing things away. Right. And again, we can hold on to things that remind us of the people we've lost if mm-hmm. we want to. It's just that when it becomes a disorder is when it impairs your functioning. Totally. You know, and you're holding on to, you know, piles and piles of things mm-hmm. that get in the way of you living uh, because uh, you want, because you believe that if you get rid of it, you're essentially getting rid of the memories of your, of your lost loved one. Sure. And I'm, so tell me about, are there other causes, by the way? Um, I think that family relationships can get wrapped into, I think okay. it's important to know that, um, it can be really devastating for families. Um, and, but that, that fractured in family relationship can, if we work to heal, it can actually be a protective factor in helping against hoarding. We found that in the research that I did too, for my dissertation. Right. So as a family therapist yourself and as a systemic thinker, Mm -hmm. you assess and treat the system Mm -hmm. to facilitate long-term change. Right. So what is the treatment then? Well, at the individual level... And, and just incidentally, you have a hoarding project yeah. in Tacoma, which is near Seattle. And it's it's one of a kind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Is it the only kind? The only yeah, the hoarding project is uh, the only nonprofit organization that's exclusively focused around education, treatment, and research for hoarding. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. In 50 years, there'll be several. And they Hopefully. will say the first one was <laughs> founded by Jennifer Sampson in Tacoma, Washington. She was, she's the grandmother of, of, <laughs> of hoarding disorder. Uh, you're 34 now, so, but we can predict in the future that people call you grandmother. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's really quite impressive. And you conduct research, mm-hmm. raise awareness, and treat people mm-hmm. with hoarding disorder. Yeah. And you pull together teams of yeah. people, wraparound services. Yeah. What, what kinds of professionals do you pull together? So we have like a, a task force that meets in King and Pierce County. We're meeting tomorrow actually for our monthly meeting. And in that collaborative team, we have people in code enforcement, fire, law enforcement, property management, cleaning companies, protective services. I mean, DSHS, other mental health agencies, like name it. Like we've wrapped in as many as we can senior housing, um, to be able to provide solutions for hoarding at the community level because once uh, hoarding gets the symptoms of hoarding get so severe that it's at the public attention of authorities like it's a different ball game and we have to work across fields in order to come up with sustainable solutions right because the common notion that the reality tv shows which first piqued your interest in mm-hmm. hoarding disorder the, the the notion of doing an intervention is not supported by uh, empirical science to work at all. And we know there's no research on hoarding cleanouts. We're starting to do some now. Um, but what we know from just on the ground, like anecdotally, uh, is that cleanouts aren't effective. Uh, relapse, recidivism, however you want to talk about it, is extremely high following a forced cleanout intervention. Doesn't it even get worse? Yeah, it gets worse and it can actually be traumatizing to an individual. Right. So the TV shows. They will do an intervention. They'll 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 go in. I've never actually seen the show, uh, but I can imagine what it is. It's it's or I've had it described to me is a person with hoarding disorder is identified by a family member. I'm guessing, and they move in there with the 
camera crew and the host and the family member and they say, we're going to clean everything out and they clean everything out. And for many of these individuals, it's traumatizing to them. It doesn't actually help. It's essentially like taking someone afraid of spiders and like throwing a bunch of spiders on their head. Yeah. And to us, it's like, oh, you're, you're free now. And you've, you've, you've had a makeover, you know, it has that kind of makeover kind of deal to it, you know? Oh, thank you so much for coming to my house and cleaning up my house. But what it's actually doing is traumatizing them. Yep. And not only are the vast majority of people that they do this to hoarding at the exact same rate, uh, a few months later, but they're actually worse off yep. because of the trauma of the experience. Yeah, what we've recognized in doing that is that people going through a hoarding clean-out when it's not at their own will um, respond in the same way as if they were going through a psychological trauma mm-hmm. or like a physical trauma. So they have the same psychological symptoms of distress. And then afterwards, they go through the same kind of traumatic process of traumatic stress. Right. So we've adapted a new intervention uh, to understand hoarding cleanouts with trauma like trauma-informed approach. So we do like a preparatory phase. We provide stress management during it to keep them under that like emotionally flooded threshold with the hypothesis that if they aren't emotionally flooded through a traumatic experience that it might be still difficult, hard, angering, sad, whatever, but it won't be traumatizing. Yeah. And then we transition them to like longer-term mental health care once the home's at safety, and we're having really good outcomes associated with that. Long-term outcomes. Yeah. So you use a wraparound team of professionals. Mm-hmm. You get the family involved. Mm-hmm. You uh, go slowly with the yeah. individual. You get them on board. Yeah. You treat the co-occurring disorder, which 92% yep. of the time is occurring, depression, PTSD. You provide full medical attention, psychological attention, mm-hmm. family attention, support, going at their pace, and you you move forward and you empirically, scientifically find that uh, much higher uh, rates of long-term success for these people. Yeah. Once, the, once safety is established in the home, then we can take as long as we need or want um, to be able to like work through the process of letting items go, that kind of stuff. And safety could be established... By just shifting things around, maybe. Yeah. Maybe yeah. We don't have to get rid of anything. Yeah. We just need to, for example, carve three foot pathways through the home, right. make sure we have access to windows and doors, right? Like right. it's safety's basic level. Right. Um, but once that's established, then, then it's a pretty long term process. Yeah. And the client, I'm guessing, is quite grateful for that model of therapy. Yeah, I think that the initial push towards safety is is and can be difficult and usually is, but that's understood. And we try to anticipate that as much as possible. But over the long run, like I was just talking about a, this with a client yesterday, um, like, yeah, they just, I mean, from start to finish or wherever we're at currently, it's just, it's night and day. Like they've just made so much substantial progress by being able to put, like take it at their own pace. Right. As we do with any issue, we work collaboratively with clients and we don't go too fast and we go at their pace Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't, you know, shock them (laughs) into doing what we want them to. And so, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And and you're there and you're supportive and you're saying, okay, well, well, you know, we won't do anything you don't want, but how about we just work on some safety issues? Don't worry about getting rid of anything yet. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that at a later time. It's all under your control. No one's going to force you. Um, but let me ask you, 
I'm guessing that the hoarding people aren't the ones reaching out to the hoarding project. It's probably other people. Um, it comes, I mean, they do as well. Oh, they probably do. like half of the referrals into the hoarding project are self-referrals. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so they're looking around and they're like, this is getting out of control. Yeah. I'm going to call them. And as we do more education out in the community and work on not talking about hoarding as just this very extreme, scary thing, um, people are coming in like with presenting with lower levels of it saying, I'm really struggling with it at this level when safety is not really a full issue yet. Um, but they want to get a handle on it before it does turn into that. Right. But they they notice in themselves yeah. that they're at the beginning stages mm-hmm. of a problem. Yeah. yeah. And they're obsessing perhaps on things. Yeah. Or just knowing that, yeah, I can't let go of these things. I need to be able to. Like my ch- kid wants to bring their my grandchildren over and they won't let me if, right. or they they won't bring them over if... I don't get this place cleaned up, like that kind of stuff. Right. As a side note, we should mention that our culture is massively materialistic. Yep. And other cultures probably don't have the same issue with hoarding as we do. Potentially, yeah. We, we indoctrinate our children into a, particularly now more than ever before, into a culture of things and a culture of acquiring things, mm-hmm. that it, it provides safety. The way we give love to people is through things. The way we hold on to love is through things. Like you said, like this water bottle means to me, my, my grandmother gave it to me and therefore it, it's a symbol of her and there's nothing wrong with that. But other cultures don't have as much as that sort of thing. And so we're in a particular epidemic uh, of mm-hmm. it, I'm guessing, in the United States because of our materialistic uh, culture. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And also when you isolate people, as our culture sometimes tend to, tends to do, then... Uh, I th- I'm imagining these kinds of things are on the rise as well. It's a uh, high number. One in 20 people on the high end of the projections would meet clinical criteria for hoarding disorder. Whoa. 345,000 people in our state, in Washington. One in 20 people. 15 million people in our country. I can believe that, actually. I mean, because again, I'm guessing anyone can think of someone that... It's funny because one in 20 meet criteria f- for hoarding disorder, but I'm guessing a, a lot more are are approaching, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> are, are, have, have traits, if yes. you will. Interesting. Okay. So if people want to uh, learn about the hoarding disorder, they can, a, pro, a hoarding project, mm-hmm. they can go to... Thehoardingproject.org. Hoardingproject.org. Mm-hmm. And you not only treat people, but you also bring people together and you have clinicians that work for you and mm-hmm. other kinds of professionals, right? Yep. Yep. We do. We run a task force locally. We're also, we're located in Seattle, Tacoma area, but we're also located in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Okay. Um, and we do trainings for all sorts of professionals all around the country too. So we offer a lot of help, consultation, support, um, connecting with resources around the idea of hoarding. Yeah. This last summer, you every week were in Ugh. a different town. Yeah, that was about, an intense summer. Uh-huh. Talking about hoarding disorder. You're so popular <laughs> in the world that uh, every week you're going to a different town educating people about hoarding disorder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's really important, particularly we were training mental health therapists oh. uh, to be able to assess, screen, and diagnose. Because unless you graduate in the last two years, it just was non-existent in, in clinical training. So we have our work cut out for us, right. certainly. But even if you did graduate recently, my guess is is that it's barely touched on, yeah. if, if at all. Yep. Because the people teaching it probably don't know anything exactly. about it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, that does it for this episode. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And if someone is hoarding around you, take it easy on them. And if you're hoarding yourself... 
take it easy on yourself and go to Jennifer's website, <laughs> thehoardingproject.org, and have a compassionate path to getting better because you deserve that as well. Mm-hmm. 